Hey, are you on TikTok? Before we get into this week's episode, I wanna invite you to come and follow me on TikTok. I'm putting out content there every single day and you're gonna love it. So come follow me at Wes Hone. All right, let's get into this week's episode. It was a great story. I was in New York and I walked into the fashion editor's office at Esquire magazine. And he goes, James, I've never even heard of your brand, but we were shooting Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, and whoever else was in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And um, Leonardo said, oh, if we're shooting denim, I'd like it to be Outland denim. So they had to look us up and get Outland denim in. You know, like that's a great branding exercise that happened organically. It only happened organically because we're authentic in everything we do to the reason we exist. Well, hey guys, and welcome back to the podcast. This week, my guest is doing business that literally changes culture. He embodies everything that is kingdom business. Uh, he's picked a tough industry. He's definitely picked a tough outcome. Um, but on the journey, he's obviously developed how to be tough and he's out there doing great business. And so it's going to be really inspiring. Um, and, uh, and I'm going to take a lot of what he's done and make it relevant to you and your business. So James, so welcome to the Kingdom Business Podcast. We appreciate you giving up your time. Can you tell us who is James Bartle? Well, thanks, Wes. I'm, I'm stoked to be able to be on this. Um, love the work that you guys do. And um, yeah, who's James Bartle? Well, pretty um, a pretty flawed um, dude that's having a, having a go, ultimately. Um, inexperienced in lots of what I'm doing, um, but just confident that, that, that it's possible to create you know, positive outcomes through business. So um, I'm, I'm a guy that's just willing to have a go. That's cool. Well, I guess that's all uh, God ever wants, right? You know, like my Bible is full of people that uh, came from a similar position, just somebody willing, somebody able, somebody that wants to give it a crack, which is, I guess it's just perfect. Uh, you and Liam Neeson have an interesting connection. Can you take us back to what happened there? <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, probably not as exciting as you just made it sound, but um, uh yeah, look, I went to the movies one night with my wife and some friends and we watched the movie Taken, Liam Neeson film. Um, he's the star of the film and um, it is a fictional film. And he's in the in the storyline, his daughter and her friend are abducted while traveling through Europe and sold into the sex industry. Now at the end of the at the end of the film, it had some script that came up and said that these events really happen around the world. And so I was just completely um, shocked. You know, I was so naive to the realities of human trafficking and how big a industry that was um and i just remember leaving that night just feeling so angry thinking right i'm going to start some kind of vigilante that's going to go out there and eradicate these bad people from the planet you know and um you know it's it's those moments i guess that um you have a choice whether you know you've been moved to do something um but a few years later it took a few years of that before i actually made any moves so take just that just that i guess that week or two after that like, was it something you thought of a lot? Did it, did, it, did it arrest your heart? Did it keep you awake? Like, how much did that burn inside of you? Yeah, it did. It really did. It, um, it, it wasn't like I was thinking about it all the time, like, um, but it was something that would consistently come to me. And I, I actually just would feel rage and anger. That's what I would feel every time I'd think of it is, man, I, these people have to be 
taken off, off, you know, out of play, so to speak. And um, how do we do that? That's literally what I was thinking. And there's got to be a way. Maybe we get SAS guys, ex-SAS, to go and find them and, and get rid of them. That's that's the sort of thought process that I was following. But um, over time, my wife's the brains of our family and she just educated me more over the next few years as to the reality of human trafficking and what it really looked like and, you know, why it exists. And, you know, man, as you learn about it, you start to actually have compassion for those that are the ones, the perpetrators, you know, because you realise that many of them have been the victims themselves and it's just such a terrible, vicious cycle. And um, to really solve issues like that, it, it really is going to take something drastic. It's not going to be about getting rid of the ones doing the bad. Mm. I guess, you know, like the first thought processes was SAS soldiers going and get them, right? Uh, it became Outland Denim, which we'll talk about in a second. If, if you think about those two options, though, um, it's, it, you know, if you, if you went down the SAS route, you're fixing one person at a time. Yeah. But you're not fixing the issue, right? Totally. You're, you're literally taking one girl out of slavery, and which, is, which is really beneficial. But actually what you've done is systemic change that won't just change one person's life, but it'll re-educate an entire community, an entire vibe. And it actually turns it off at the tap instead of just mopping up the water. Absolutely. which makes it insanely strategic in the way that you decided to approach this. So take us to the start. Take us, what, what is the business and what are you hoping to achieve? Yeah, well, look, I mean, it was, it was actually um, after watching that movie and uh, a few years later I had the opportunity to travel with a rescue agency to see the issue firsthand and it was on that trip that my heart was really changed. I, um, we landed in Thailand. We went out to a, a place um, that they said was the sex capital of the world. And as we walked down the red lights and the, all the all the hustle and bustle going on, it, it was it didn't it felt heavy, but it it didn't seem like what I expected. You know, people looked happy, and it was just this facade that was on at the front. And I remember saying to the, the guy who was the Australian director of this NGO at the time, um, "It doesn't seem as bad as what you made out." It, it to be you know and he said oh James I'll take you further and he he took me further out of the main touristy spot and I can I'll never forget just looking ahead and seeing this lineup of young women for sale and when I say for sale I mean for uh, for an hour or for the night or whatever it was but one of them stood out um and um she looked really scared um and intimidated to be there and it, um she looked like she was only 12 or 13 she was very young and I just remember looking at her and thinking, my gosh, like, what is going on? I asked him and he said, yes, she looks like she's really young and it looks like it could be her first night. She just doesn't know what to do and she looks scared. And, you know, that is the moment where you think, right, this is my near Leeson moment. I'm going to run in now. I'm going to kick the door down and throw over my shoulder, run away and save the day. And as I spoke to the uh, the director about what, what was the next move, what do we do? He said, James, if you look around, these little girls are everywhere. And man, my heart broke. You know, I had two nieces of my own at the time and I just remember wondering where her dad was or where's her uncle looking for her, you know. And so um, it was in that moment that I committed. I didn't know how or what, but I just knew I was willing to commit to being a part of the solution. Now, you again, your mind naturally goes to being a rescuer. But like you said, like that's an insanely important part of the process, but it's a part of the process. And what I kept hearing from NGOs on that trip was that, you know, we can rescue as many of these young ladies as we like, but unless there is um, uh, sustainable employment, unless there's a, a pathway out into the future, 
they can end up back in the same or worse situation. And so I knew it had to be an economic solution to such a big problem. And that set us on the path of setting up um, a, a manufacturing facility that that creates um, the products that we now sell today. And, you know, that's uh, denim is the, the product we chose. And, you know, at the time didn't realize that denim was such a challenging and competitive space to be in, especially when you're talking about cracking an international market, which is ultimately what we need to do. If we want to achieve these impacts that we dream and believe we're being put here to do, it can't be just based in Australia. And so the naivety was, I guess, an advantage to us. But today we we employ um, over 100 Cambodian women uh, and we manufacture our own products and we're manufacturing for other brands now as well. It's such a cool story, right? And um, it's obviously compelling for you. Like it's obviously captured your heart enough to give your life up for it. Yeah. Um, you know, you said it needs an economic solution. It, if you had run in there, kick the door down, grab that girl over your shoulder, you wouldn't have fixed the issue. No. Because she needs work to get paid. Now that's horrific work, horrific work. Yeah. But actually you could have potentially produced a worst outcome for her. Absolutely. in that model so by going down the avenue of producing jobs and giving people enterprise to work in you actually fix two issues at one time you yeah. know which makes it a sustainable outcome and and i'm picking up on this point because that's kingdom thinking right i think i think there's a lot of needs in the world and we and we we tend to approach them like bottom-up change yeah. which doesn't fix them sustainably um, and, and fixing one problem can quite often create another, especially for, for people that are in disadvantaged situations. And so what you've been able to do is, is give them security and safety and dignity, but also income and food and shelter and those sort of things, which is, which is phenomenal. Um, you know, one of the topics that we talk about a lot is this concept of assignment, right? And, and it's just a word, but it's, it's effectively this concept that the Lord wants us to do something with our life while we're here. And, it, and it's not generic Christianity of go to church and be nice to people. That should just be like breathing, right? This is, this is something that we are divinely gifted and talented and anointed to go and do. And it's interesting for me picking up on your story because you had the assignment before you had the business, which makes it incredibly compelling. The thing that I'm up against all the time is I meet business people who are somewhat financial and they don't have the assignment and there's less need to find the assignment. And they struggle with the assignment because they really can lean on their own you know, self-sufficiency because they've built a business. And whereas for you, I could imagine there would have been some horrible, horribly dark days over the time that you've built Outland Denim. But once you know what the assignment is or your compelling why, like you do, you can't quit. Yeah. <laughs> you, 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 like like you, you might get up tomorrow and have like six bit, bits of bad news and you're going to think about the 101th girl that is not going to get a job if you quit or the 100 that are going to lose. Yeah. What are you going to do? You're going to suck it up and you're going to take another step. Yeah. And I think that's absolute. like it's, it's such a, it not only does it move the needle on the kingdom, but it's a valuable tool for the journey. Yeah. You know, if, if I look at my story, my, you know, my, I get angry when I see Christian entrepreneurs who don't advance the kingdom. They just treat business for themselves. You know, that's what makes me enraged is, is those sort of things. Yeah. And when I see Christians in business that play small or, you know, when I see them get taken out by the enemy and things like that. Yeah. And so if that's the compelling, like for me, it's the same thing when I, when I, when I can't be bothered, yeah. I have to be bothered because yeah. it's a, that's it's a big enough assignment to do it. And I'm picking up on the point because I think everybody needs it. 
Yeah, I think I everybody needs to have that really compelling assignment that the Lord tells them and shows them what they've got to do. And and as business people, our our assignments have massive impact. Yeah, you know, because everything relies on commerce. Yeah. Um, that's a little soapbox moment for me, but what, what? So, if we just go outside of Outland Denim for a minute, what role do you think business plays in advancing the kingdom of God? Well, look, I guess I've I probably got quite a, um, um, I don't know, provocative, probably thought process or idea on this, but you know, I think that actually um, that the Bible is really clear that He called the church. So, when I say the church, I mean the believers to take care of all of the social issues that are faced in community. And I believe that there's a multitude of ways that he's given us instruction to do that. But the statistics are really clear. We're not willing um, as, as a whole. And so I don't say that to, to try and be patronising to all of those that are out there working their backsides off to advance the kingdom, but I, but I do say that as that is fact. And so I believe that, we're in a very unique time in history where I do believe that um, there is an anointing on business to really step up because this is God's heart. God's heart is to love on humanity. And we have the choice to do it. But I think we're, the, the fear of going without or sacrifice what people think, all these different fears that we all have in different ways is preventing us from actually stepping out and acting. Security is the biggest. Um, I need to own my home. I need to A, B, C, D, E, because that's what the culture within Australia has taught me. And therefore, it's godly and wise. And some of those things absolutely are. But when they come as the number one, and that's where the security is placed, it actually takes away our ability to be able to step out and have these incredible impacts where you see people's lives completely changed. Um, you know, I, I would love to see that, you know, business really steps up in this time and it becomes a shining light to the body of Christ to, you know, for businesses to, to be able to demonstrate that, that this is possible. We're using the power of our business. Now imagine if everybody used the power of their family finances, not even just their finances, their time, they're just their, them being, you know, the, the world would change. And, um, you know, I'm so passionate about that happening. Um, but it's, but it's gotta be, you know, there's got people that are going to, um, step out and take the risk. And um, I, I think that, you know, business is in a great space right now to be going. I think God's anointing is on businesses to really take the lead. Oh, hey, I hope you're enjoying this week's episode. Listen, I'm just here training a group here in this room, but I need you to subscribe to my channel. Guys, do you think they should subscribe to the channel? Yes! Guys, please. Subscribe. I mean, you you basically just raised the bar, right, for everybody, which was probably your intention, and it's an amazing thing to do. Because there's a lot, I mean, if you look at modern day philanthropy, right, you know, it's it's touted as a great idea, and it is, it's a, it's a very cool thing, it's a, it's a valuable part. But if you look at it, it's like, it's at the end of the journey, right? So it's 30 years of making loads of money and then spending the next whatever, 20, giving most of it away. Mm. Um, but you mentioned security. For the believer, we never want to get security from our own wealth, right? <laughs> because it could go in tomorrow. So um, our security is from the Lord, which now means that we don't have to wait to do good works. Yeah. And that's that's common thinking in society today, right? Is you, you kind of do those good works 
after you've made it. Yes. Absolutely. And you're not, you're not doing that. Uh, I certainly didn't do that. I found reasons to show my allegiance to the Lord on the journey, mm. which actually brings a very interesting dynamic. And that is that you, you need the supernatural favor of heaven to make this work then. Yeah. Right. Because because you have completely switched the world system, right, of like, I'll do it in my own strength and then I'll give it all away. You're like, no, 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 I'm going to give it away from the beginning. Mm. Right. I'm going to make I'm going to make investments that don't make economic sense from the beginning, which means that actually the Lord has to step in and grow my business. Right. So have you got a couple of stories where you have seen the supernatural of God? Right. And. And, and I know that there's, there's a Megan Markle story, um, which is probably not as cool today as it was back when it happened. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> there's a DiCaprio story and that's probably not as cool today as it was, but, but like, like, to, have you got a couple of stories where you have seen, but by, by choosing your allegiance to the kingdom of God first, mm-hmm. seeing God add some super onto your natural. Oh, mate, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, um, I, I can tell you, I can tell you a number of stories, but you know, I 100% do believe in that it is the stepping out and God's provision. And when you actively rely on him to provide and you step out into things that um, you're not even sure about, you know, I think one of the things that stops us from stepping into, should I do something or not? I feel I should, but I'm not sure if God's called me to. I think that's a big, big misleading idea that the, the Christian church has and talks about regularly is when you're called to ministry or you're called. It's, it's rubbish. It's absolute rubbish. You are called. I can tell you, if you believe in Jesus as the son of God, you are called. There is no question. Go and just read the red writing in the Bible for starters, you know, and that will tell you that you are called. And I think one of the things that steps out to me always is that when, you know, Jesus is talking about when you love on these kinds of people when you love on the poor, the widows, the, the, the children, it's like doing it to him. And if you actually stop and think about that, think what an incredible privilege to actually be able to serve God in that way. It makes it very tangible in your mind as to what I'm trying to, to do. And the other thing is when I started um, on this journey, I didn't have neon lights and lightning bolt coming from the sky and throwing out fleeces. God, is this the right thing, not the right thing? I just knew because I knew what the Bible said that this is the right thing to care for these people. So when I say called, I just knew, not because of anything miraculous, but the miraculous moments on the journey have been absolute confirmations of God's hand on this. I'm not a very smart guy. I went to grade nine. Um, And I'm not not saying that in any way of like, I don't think that I'm capable because I do, Um, but I'm not educated. Um, And I've had to learn as I've gone and I've made many mistakes along the way. in trying to achieve what what we're now starting to see. Um, But um, it has been because of that weakness that I think I've had to rely on God. So it's made it easier for me than it has for other people who have the natural ability or have all the knowledge. Um, So I guess I can't necessarily take glory for that. I just didn't have it, so I had to rely, so it was easier for me. But the moments of seeing God's hand and take something from nothing to, you know, to something miraculous has been moments where, like, I mean, one one amazing one was um, we were broke and we've been broke so many times on this journey, just, you know, like it's a regular thing and especially COVID, like it's been what you said at the beginning of we can't quit, that has been the secret source. Um, so I need a million dollars tomorrow and the consequence of not is insanely high. And it's literally tomorrow and we, you know, I got my key shareholders together. I told them the scenario and we had an offer on the table where 
it could get us out of it, but it didn't. It wasn't the right offer. And I just said, look, we can take this offer, which was substantial, um, or we can continue on in the way I think we should go. But it means we've got two weeks of cash when we're done. Um, and there was seven um, shareholders around that table, and they all said, let's run the gauntlet. We ran the gauntlet, and um, the next day I get a phone call going, "Yeah, I'm going to um, I'm going to transfer a million dollars across um, and invest in someone I've been talking to for a long time." You know, that's one moment. So down to the absolute wire. Um, another moment, yes, the Megan Markle thing. You know, it's um, organically she got our genes and she, um, you know, she liked them. She liked the story. She wears them in you know, here in her tour in Australia and, you know, it just blew up the brand from a sales a little bit, but, you know, um, from exposure. It meant that I could call most places and walk in the door, you know. So in in this denim space, that's difficult because it's so competitive and it's there's such great brands and, you know, our quality of our product wasn't there at the time and, you know, but the quality of our story was so good that it was getting us across the line, um, and, and man, I could just, I could go on and tell you story after story, but you know, I'm so grateful for the moments of not having any finances. I'm so grateful for being broke. I'm so grateful for, um, you know, like even legal issues as they pop up over IP or legal issues over, you know, the way you're trading in a country and not even knowing how to trade in a country. And just all these things that feel like, oh my gosh, and the anxiety sets in. They are the moments that make you you just like fall back on the thing that you actually have trust in, which is which is the creator. And so, I I just feel like I'm just really really lucky that I know him. And even if it all fails, that's okay. Yeah, it's still okay. You know. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's my mindset. Although I'll do everything I can not to fail. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, I want to go back to. I mean, I I love the story because. You chose, you you chose pure faith, right? And you weren't waiting for seven prophetic words to line up with you need to start a genes ministry, right? Um, and um, there's a lot of people that are trying to line their ducks up, and I don't know if you've ever like lining up ducks is just a bad idea anyway. <laughs> um, but you just decided to apply the faith, and and you've seen the Lord step in, and so. You know, I, I think it's interesting. One of the topics that gets taught a lot in church, modern day church, is like, do find out what the Lord's doing and do that. And I'm like, yeah, that that's okay. But I have found that as I've activated my faith, He's often got involved in what I'm doing too, mm-hmm. right? Because because if you do it, like, find out what the Lord's doing and do that, it, it, it puts a lot of pressure on you to have to figure out one small thing, right? It's like whereas whereas I think He's already put it in us, and we yeah, just got to get started, right? You know, yeah. when I think about YWAM, YWAM was one dude and a guitar. Yeah. Right, and now it's the largest ministry in the world, and you know, over sixty years or something, it's it's been mm-hmm. built. Like they didn't overthink it; they just heard the Lord and just moved. Right, yeah, so yeah. Um, well, so I, I, I can I just add in there, you know, like I had I had these things confirmed not just by God's hand, but even from prophetic. So I was given a prophetic word. I actually think before I'd actually made a commitment to the Lord, and I remember it was my dad. Um, just really, my mum and dad wanted me to see these beautiful old couple who had this prophetic ministry and I was probably a bit skeptical of it all. But anyway, he gave me this word and all I could remember was you're going to have a, and he called it a ministry, but you're going to have a ministry and all I can see is strings. I have no idea what that means. Anyway, left me. I'm, I'm in Turkey one day at our Danamil 
and um, I look across the room and I see all of the cotton coming out, being woven into the into the fabric, and I see these strings just going out lines, and it just smoked me. All these years later, you know, um, had never connected it, but it was like what you said there is I, I really do believe God puts it in you, but unless you act, you never get to see it happen. Um, it does take that step of faith and just acting and being okay with knowing that, that God is okay with you stepping out in belief, even if you're wrong, even if he didn't want you to, he is okay with it because he loves you and he's actually proud of you for taking that step. And the more we do that, the better we get at hearing him and knowing whether we're taking the right step or not. But I think, unfortunately, for myself included, in uh, a lot of the time, it's just the fear of actually stepping out that's so difficult. Mm. Now, I'm being a bit sarcastic here, but I'm surprised that you didn't call them Jesus jeans. <laughs> um, and I had a look on the website yesterday and I couldn't find a fish logo anywhere. So how does a man with such great faith um, come up with a brand that doesn't glorify Jesus? Yeah, yeah, totally. I love it. Um, uh, you know, I, I, years ago, I used to think about, you, yeah, you have a, it's, I've got a Christian business um, or I've got a Christian brand or label. And it's like, what? You have a Christian? Really? I, I actually didn't know Jesus came to save businesses or labels or clothes. Now, he uses all those things, absolutely. And, you know, it was a big mind shift for me actually after, you know, 10 years of having a faith or so to, you know, where we launched Outland Denim. And, you know, I went, man, the glorifying Jesus is in loving people. You know, even on an evangelical sense, um, you know, and I am, I've, you know, spent 10 years as an evangelist. Um, you know, I, I really believe that the lack of action, the lack of loving, the lack of, you know, um, practical love for people is one of the things that prevents us from seeing incredible works of the Holy Spirit. We we chase the vibe, so to speak, you know, versus act and love and do the things the Bible instructs us to do. And, if, you know, and when we do those things, we start to see the, the miraculous moments happening. Um, but, you know, it's that action first. So, look, that's my foundational belief of just love people. I don't care who you are, what you are, what you believe. Hey, most of the people that work for us are Buddhists. That's what they believe in Cambodia. And I want them to know Jesus 100%. Um, but my approach to that is even if you don't, I will still love you. You know, we will still care for you. And I think that that makes it a very genuine love when you can get to that place. Um, in my earlier years, it would have been about numbers, how many people said the prayer that I could come back to church on Sunday and <laughs> tell everybody because that that gets checks written. You know, we can go to the next one and do it because I'll have diesel to do it. You know, it's those kinds of it's those kinds of things that I think that have really shifted for me and going, no, I just want to genuinely love people and demonstrate the love of Christ to them. I mean the good Samaritan in the story doesn't he didn't he didn't preach. No. Know, he, yeah. he, he you know and, and and actually the religious leaders walked past the person in the street with need. And, and of all people, it was the least. The Samaritan, who probably shouldn't have been doing anything good, uh, is the one that says, I'll fund it, I'll pay for you, take care of them, and if there's another bill, send it to me type thing. Like, it yeah. was just an act of, you know, a beautiful act of the heart of God. And, um, and, and you know, and, and it's not about numbers, but ironically, you love on people long enough, and in their mess, they will want to find out what's going on. Yeah. Right. You know, at some point in their mess, they're, they're going to inquire of the Lord or inquire of you, like, why would you bother? You know, Whereas I, I, you know, it reminds me of a story. I was um, what what we would call the greatest fall from grace that I've ever had personally. 
Um, and, um, you know, I rang this, this man, Christian, Christian guy who's become a very trusted friend. And um, I told him what I'd done. And his reaction to me was laughter. And it wasn't ever laughter in, I condone what you've done. It was laughter in, wow, this is a big one we're going to need to deal with. I'm with you. And, and the lack of judgment in it gave me security to be completely vulnerable to him over a period of years for him to help me deal with and work through the issues that I'd faced. And um, it was the probably greatest example I've ever had of a really, really solid, um, uh, what would you call it, um, uh, accountability partner in love, not in like a, a an iron fist kind of a deal. And it was just, it changed me. It completely changed me. And so I think that there's a lot to be learned from the Good Samaritan and the way that we deal with people and the, and the judgment that needs to be taken away because we don't really understand. And when we do those things, I really do think it takes the lid off the top for the Holy Spirit to really, really be saying. How, how did that then help you? Um... How did that shape you to then take on these girls and 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 not judge them? Like like how how have you taken that and made it your own and 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 because that's what you're doing today? Yeah, man, um, it was it was vital actually because it one it, it was the first time I ever understood the grace of God because previously I actually thought I was good enough because I was actually working my backside off to serve Him. You know, um, I was sacrificing. I was doing all the things, ticking the boxes, going to church, doing my quiet time, doing all the stuff. You know, um, and then I could still, I could still be so crappy. How? You know, it it demonstrated the grace of God to me, and this this guy, he really demonstrated grace to me, and it showed me just how vulnerable to sin I am, and vulnerable to um, falling short of where I personally want to be myself. And it made me go, I don't stand on, mate. I don't stand on any pedestal because I'm as I'm as average as they. I'm worse than average, you know. And I am because I know my heart and I know the things I think and the things I want and the, all the unhealthy things that over time are being refined in me. So it's just taken away. I'm not saying I'm not judgmental still because I still have an issue with judgment, um, but but it has really highlighted that I got no I got no grounds to be judgmental to anybody because I'm as bad as they get. And, you know, that, that right there is the reason why I love doing this podcast and connecting with people like you, James, because y- your humility is so attractive, right? You know, like, like you've got a global brand and, and yet you can just sit there and, and, and be fully aware that you don't have it together. And there'd be people that are watching this going, yeah, that's, that's me. Um, and I've maybe kept a facade up to try and make it look like I've got it all together, but I'm struggling with my facade and and having you being that honest and vulnerable and been able to say that, like, it's such a beautiful trait for you to be able to sit here and say that to, you know, possibly twenty thousand strangers that, that will never that, that may not know you. So thank you for being you and all that journey. It's it's a beautiful part of it. Um, the brand. Let's go to the brand, right? Because I'm a business guy at heart. Um, Outland denim is 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 just two words. Um, and it, they probably mean a lot to you. Um, I'm up against it with people to understand the power of brand. I don't know how many jeans brands there are or clothing brands there are in the world. You picked an insanely saturated industry. Um, so which, which means that brand is everything, 
right? Be, you know, because how do I choose between the thousand different types of genes that exist, right? It's brand, and, which means you had to be way intentional about building a brand because otherwise it was just genes, right? Yeah. The biggest mistake most Christian t-shirt brands make is they don't have a brand. They have t-shirts and a slogan, but there's a million different t-shirts, right? And I don't need fire and flames up mine to be totally honest, right? So how how have you intentionally built your brand? What did you do to make the brand go global? Well, um, the funny thing is, I think that it is a very difficult thing to build a brand. And actually, you know, in the beginning, I think about all the elements that go into branding and, you know, they seem like they're, they're not that important. But when you think about, I need to identify who my brand is as a human, um, you know, who wears my brand and what does it stand for and all those things, it starts to make it a little bit more real and you think um, it, it helps you. But um, building the brand for us was, I guess, a, a, an add-on. You know, we started because of cause and cause was everything. And, and that created a massive challenge for us to create a brand that was aspirational. But the, uh, the story of Robin Hood is something that really inspires me. Um, and, you know, the reason it inspires me is because I am frustrated that it's, it's very difficult to get money to flow into the areas of need. And I look at Robin Hood as, a, as an example, as a story um, of a way of doing that, taking from the rich to give to the poor. And now I don't think there's anything wrong with people being rich, but I look at um, what he's done. And so when I think about that, I go, wow. If I want to do that using a brand, I've got to have a brand that people want because of the brand. I need to be able to somehow get them to part with their money because they love this brand, they love this product, and that money can then be used to, to have all of these impacts. And so then brand becomes very important because how is it going to become something that is aspirational enough that they want to align their personal identity with this brand? You know, And I think we're coming into a time now where you know, we didn't plan 11 years ago when we started on this journey that that things would shift on a on a um, with the social conscious of um, consumers to be thinking about is it ethical or is it sustainable, so to speak. You know, um, we just did it because we believed it was right, and um, it, that has played into our branding. We are a brand. You know, our slogan is "Good for Humanity." And, you know, it means so much to us that Outland Denim is good for humanity. And it's good for humanity because of lots of things. And as we start to build those elements out in our branding, so through social media and the content that we create, um, the things that we participate in, the people that wear our products, um, you know, that starts to build this brand that will align with some and not with others. And that was an important thing to distinguish is that we're not for everybody. Um, and, you know, that was one of the big mistakes we made is, we wanted to be everything to everybody, and it meant that we weren't potent. And I would say only in the last 12 months have we really started to tighten up on our branding and who we are and who are we marketing it to and who do we want to wear our product. Um, and and it, you can see it's paying dividends. So branding is, is, in fact, I would say branding and product are the two most important things in a business. And if you can't get those things right, so your service or your product and your branding, um, it's going to be very difficult for you to achieve probably if you've got very ambitious goals for your business. And yeah. um, we're, we're a living example of that. Yeah. Yeah, well, a good brand should attract and repel, right? Yeah. Because yeah. Then, then you can speak really clearly to the people that you want to attract. Absolutely. Um, and a lot of people can't handle that because they're trying to gather it all up, right? And they're like, oh, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want everybody. Everybody's nobody, right? So um, uh, can we drill down a little bit on what you're doing? What, what is a... 
on a daily basis, um, what sort of investments are you making in the brand and where? Um, you know, I kind of want to look at, you know, what are you doing across socials? Are you an early adopter for like TikTok? Are you investing heavily? Do you have, do you have in-house branding? Are you, are you global? Are you, Give us some give us some actual tactics on what are you doing to take the brand global on a daily basis and across what platforms? Well, well, yeah. So look, we're not early adopters of TikTok. Um, we do have a TikTok account that we don't use. Um, we've got a we've got an Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn, um, and you know we're doing daily posts on um, Instagram primarily. Um, you know we see that as probably I guess. A glimpse into people use Instagram today as a as a tool to go. I don't go to a website straight away now. I go straight to Instagram if I want to look at a business. And so we go, okay, we want them to go and with a glimpse get a get a look at our product and a bit of a vibe about what the brand sort of is. Um, that's as much as that is. It's not so much about engagement for us anymore on Instagram. It's more so a lookbook. Come and come and see what we do. We get the views, but we're not really trying to get you engaged because the amount of effort that goes in into getting engagement there is is a, in my opinion, a waste of resource today um, for a brand like ours, at least. A brand like ours needs to be very intentional about the connections that we make. So whether that's, I don't like the word influencer, but it's like influencer strategies. So um, I prefer to think of them as like um, just part of our community, people who genuinely believe in the same things we believe in, and they don't have to believe in everything we believe in. It's just they align with certain parts of our business and they love our products and they take it out to the world. A lot of that for us happens organically. And so, you know, that that was, like I said, with Megan Markle. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was another one. Um, it, was a, it was a great story. I was in New York and I walked into um, the fashion editor's office at Esquire magazine. And he goes, James, I've never even heard of your brand, but we were shooting Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, and whoever else was in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood movie. Um, and... Um, and um, Leonardo said, oh, if we're shooting denim, I'd like it to be Outland denim. So they had to look us up and get Outland denim in, you know, like miraculous moments like that. Now, that's a great branding exercise because we think Leonardo, he's a bit of a, he's a, bit of a cool guy. He's a bit of an old school guy. He's, um, he cares about lots of environmental issues. We care about them too. Um, that's a great branding exercise that happened organically. It only happened organically because we're authentic in everything we do to the reason we exist. And when you get to branding, it is very, there's a lot of shiny lights all around you, all over the place. And when we think about marketing our brand, we want to participate in everything. But I think if you keep it really potent and targeted, always about what you're about, um, people know you for it. And where that's the example of someone like Leonardo DiCaprio not getting paid. We didn't have any a PR agency go after him. He just volunteered because he saw the brand stands in alliance with something he, he stands the lines for. So that brings you to values. And I go, this the most powerful branding um, attributes that you can have is to be values aligned in everything you do. And I think that that's what we're trying to achieve through our branding. So we have in-house branding. Um, so we've got um, marketing, graphic design, um, and sales in-house. Um, and, you know, that's um, there's good and bad to that. Um, the bad is that being in-house, it's a, it's a cash flow thing. Um, it's it's hard to to manage. Sometimes you get um, pigeonholed a little bit in the way you think and the way you act. Whereas sometimes when you're out with a branding agency or marketing agency that's external, you're bringing new ideas in that's a little more creative sometimes. So you know there's there's plus and minus on both sides, and I have tried both sides, and I'm happy with the current in-house situation outside of having to pay wages every week. But um, 
yeah, look, I think I think the amount of time that needs to go into branding in the early stages, I wish I put more effort into it, you know, before I launched the brand um, because I think we would have been far more successful um, a lot faster. But, um, look, it's like everything in our business. It's just sort of happening as it happens and we're, we're going as hard and fast as we can, but we're not experts on everything. So, no. And and is your business model mostly D to C, or are you direct to consumer, or are you going wholesale distributors? What's your business model split? Yeah, look, um, pre COVID, we were about nearly eighty percent. We were wholesale, and mm-hmm. we we'd actually just just launched into the US. Um, we launched. We had three weeks on the floor with the likes of Nordstrom, and our sales. You know, were all the other brands that had a bit of a sustainability story. We outsold them. You know, and then COVID hit and shut everything down. So we went from eighty percent to zero in our wholesale business. So our business was virtually done. Mm. Um, I'd just done a capital raise, um, or was just, sorry, not done. I'd just launched a capital raise. Um, and we believed we'd be fine because we just shift over to e-commerce and we did. And over that time we've built e-commerce, but um, we're back in wholesale again now. And um, we're getting close to being a 50-50 split wholesale mm. to direct consumer. But I think that's an interesting point. I've never really believed in direct-to-consumer as what I hear everyone talking about. I actually think it's great and it's vital and important, but I believe that bricks-and-mortar retail, I believe that community and selling to, you know, another store who can make their margin on your product, engage community in the conversation in a more meaningful way, face-to-face, is a really potent marketing tool. And so for us, it's never been about just trying to get the largest margin out of um, D to C, um, it has been about um, using that wholesale experience. But then when you think about going into international markets, um, we've done both where we've used our distributor and also managed it ourselves using third-party logistics services. So, um, you know, there's lots of ways you can do it. And they, again, all have pros and cons, um, but, you know, you can you can burn a lot of money when logistically you're probably not set up properly. And that's where distributors have played a really important part for us. Yeah, But I think just to peel back what you just said, you would restrict your business if you were going for the most margin you could get because you'd be forced to go D to C, which by the way can work. I mean, you can build a phenomenal brand D to C, but that's building a brand. If you're trying to change consciousness and start a conversation, then it's about casting the biggest net you can. Right? Absolutely. And, it, and that wouldn't be doing, you wouldn't do one channel if your goal was to cast a big net. So, um, but I also think I also think you you know with a brand like ours where you've got a powerful story, um, what a what a really powerful yeah. marketing strategy is to use retailers to tell your story day yeah. in and day out. Yeah. So I think you know it's not all just because of casting a large net. It is because I believe it into being a very potent marketing tool. Um, but you know, for us, our KPI is really we've piloted something that's all we've really done we've gone is it possible and does it work and we're going yes it does business can be used to have these impacts and look to be perfectly clear with you you know we work to try and hit like a gp of 50 on our product so it's not like we're we're got a a small you know profit margin we're we're aiming for that we think they have to go hand in hand um so you know using using our business to go as far and wide, every single unit we sell, we say activates a cycle of freedom. And so that's the, that's the power of this brand. So it comes down to units sold, not just margin. 
Yeah, but you don't have to have one metric, right? You can oh. have you can have a solid GP and tell a good story and you know build a brand. And you can end your way through those things, right? That's that's right. That's, that's, that's the ultimate. Yeah. Um, one of the things I looked up where you sit um, on the uh, I think it's like the Baptist World Aid thing they do every year, which I've been fascinated with for for many years. Actually, uh, I, I like clothing, um, and so. You know, that's been quite confronting over the years to look at that and go, oh, I normally shop at this shop and then seeing that they're shocking for their supply chain type things. Mm, yeah. um, your A+, plus, which is, I guess, the best, so that's credit to you. Uh, you rank as A+, plus on, the, on, their, on their thing, um, which if you're going to lead the charge, you should probably be A+. Plus. You know, it's interesting for me because, you know, th there are certain shops that I go to you know, um, and I had to go check them. I'm like, well, hang on a minute. Like, so, you know, typically a lot of my clothes would come from say RM Williams. So you look at them and go, okay, they're pretty good. Uh, they're pretty good they're, and, and getting better. So that's, so they're obviously conscious of their supply chain issues and things like that. I've got a real problem actually with cheap clothing. Um, you know, b before I ever really engage with your story, I, I've always just, I've just gone like, you know, if I go to a shop and, and there's a shop there and they're selling a $10 t-shirt, I like it, I can get my, you know, eight year old to realize that people are getting ripped off here. Yeah. You know, if I'm spending eight bucks on a t-shirt because the retailer's making four, right. Yeah. Or whatever. Right. So yeah. for the other four bucks, it's got to be landed here and then it's got to be, you know, made and, and shipped and, and then the factory and the right. lights and the wages and that. Yeah. I'm like, so this is not enough, right. You know, for these people to get paid well. So, um, and I actually think it's really interesting because, you know, there's this whole world of like, um, save, 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 and get yourself wealthy. E even within the Christian faith, there are, there, are, there are big profiles who are like, live cheap, live on less than you, like live, 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 like live cheap so that you can set yourself up. I'm like, cool, so you set yourself up at the expense of some other of God's children. Like that's, that's a problem, but I don't know that we've ever thought about it, right? No. So, so, so that's, that wouldn't be God's model, that you prosper at the expense of a whole bunch of other people. It's never yeah. been his model. So I've got a real problem with cheap clothes, you know, and, and, and I understand if you, if you really don't have any money, then that's a great place to start buying clothes. But, but at some point, I think you've got to have that awareness that says there's not enough economics in this for everybody to be okay. Yep. Um, and so you were, and, and ironically, more expensive clothes usually last longer, right? Usually. And so, you know, the economies of scale are not there anyway. I'll tell you a funny story. When I went on my honeymoon, we went to Singapore and me and my wife gave each other a little bit of money to spend. And um, I bought one item, right, that I was still wearing 10 years later. She went to the markets, bought like 400 <laughs> items and none of them lasted two weeks, right? You pull a thread yeah. and the whole thing disappears, yeah. Yeah. right? So what, what would you say to that as somebody who's on this charge? What would you say about the way we should consider supply chain, you know, you know and, and these people that are, you know, living possibly, you know, or below the poverty line in exchange for making our clothes? Well, it's, um, it's something pretty close to my heart, Wes, and it's actually one of the things that really does frustrate me about the culture we live in within Australia, and in particular, the, the Christian culture, because I think, you know, it doesn't align with the way God would want us to live our lives very clearly. Um, I, I'll tell you a story of, you know, one, one girl that we employed. She, um, she was uh, trafficked out of Cambodia. Um, as a 14-year-old with her um, her friend. Anyway, her friend dies um, over the years that they were there. She ended up dying um, from getting sick. Um, and the reality is that it's just cheaper to replace a slave today than it is to care for one. 
Um, eventually, a great organisation called IJM, International Justice Mission, found, identified, rescued, repatriated her back into Cambodia, um, where we employed her. Um, now, she came to us as a 17-year-old. And she so she had lived um, these horrific three years where she had seen her friend die on a garment factory floor um, because that is the reality of this industry. And the best brands are, are having these issues happening within their supply chains. Um, you know, something I'll say to the, you know, Baptist, Way, Baptist World Aid Ethical Fashion Report is, yes, it's been great to be a part of that. Um, but I also spoke out about it last year. Um, and, and it's not something that we're participating in, again, as a result of brands that aren't paying living wages. Um, and for me, that's a foundational thing. If you're not going to pay someone enough that they can actually live on, then that's criminal. And it's actually a form of slavery, in my opinion, you know, um, and many others' opinion. Um, and so some of the best-known brands aren't doing that. And so actually in the report last year, you had to dig to find out if a brand, you know, to go back into the report to find out if it was actually paying a living wage. Yet there was brands getting rated as A's that don't even pay a living wage. So um, I know I raised that with with the, the Baptists and you know there's and along with others that had concern around it as well other some other a plus brands and um as a result there's a number of us that won't participate again until those things are rectified so that when you go Wes and you look at that report you go very quickly you know whether the brand aligns with your own personal values mm -hmm. because if it doesn't then it's just another form of greenwashing and actually that's the greatest threat that any good faces is greenwashing this manipulative marketing leading you to believe that you're a part of a solution when in fact you're a part of the problem. Um, it means that brands like us can't prosper, can't thrive um, to the extent that we could if we um, had stronger, uh, maybe even um, regulations, government regulations around that kind of marketing, which there is, but isn't, isn't man, um, manned very well. So um, I think that, you know, if we really want to do the right thing, it's really difficult when it comes to clothes and all products because of that exact issue of greenwashing. How do we really know? And do I have the time to research it? And the reality is you shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to research it. You should be able to go confidently and buy a product. So what I would suggest should happen is that there is foundational things like living wages, um, that, sh that every item, if you can't prove that those that made that product were paid a living wage, then the garment should be marked telling people that this garment doesn't pay. If there were slaves involved, or you can't prove that there wasn't, maybe the garment should be marked saying that this garment was made by slaves, you know? <laughs> and maybe that would be enough to get us to go, wow, I can't participate in this any longer. And that would be the most powerful moment for fashion and every industry is when consumers say, I won't buy anymore. Yeah. Brands would shift really quickly. But what it does do is for brands like Kmart, and I mean, probably, you can probably erase that bit, but brands that, you know, start with a H and end with an M, like there's... There is really, it's, it's quite terrible what's happening um, and we really do need to shift away from that model. Isn't that where <clears throat> NFTs are going to play a role? Because surely, you know, one of the things that's going to happen with NFTs is you're going to, every time you purchase a pair of jeans from a retailer, you're going to be issued an NFT and it's going to be able to track the entire supply chain and let you know. Now, I'm sure there'll be some lying in, in amongst all of that, but, but surely there'll be somebody that kind of enters that game to bring some sort of you know, because the beauty is the retailer or the or the provider could say, oh, we're brilliant on an NFT, yeah. but somebody else is going to be able to track that supply chain and say, actually, they're shocking. 
and it's yeah. going to be far more transparent in the future as to who is paying living wages and who's doing those sort of things. So do you see yeah. that as being something valuable that's coming that's going to expose some greenwashing? Yeah, look, we've been looking at them for a long time and, and putting them in, in our products and um, so that people can exactly do that. Look, I don't, I don't see it as as powerful as it sounds. I mean, blockchain tech is obviously something that's really powerful in your connection with the NFT, and then you can you can see that you can't change the data, but it's it's only as good as the data that's input. And you know, a lot of the problems that we face in these regions where um, a lot of our products are made is that there is two sets of books. The auditor is in town. We all know the auditor is in town, so everyone pulls out book number two. You know, and um, you know how you how do you get around that? I my belief is actually that it's going to take different kinds of tech, so using different different forms and things that we piloted as as working um, and putting them all the way through the supply chain, so that it's real time data, twenty four seven monitoring, um, to actually give us confidence the right things being done. And there is a lot of technology that can be adopted into those. Um, and now we've tested it in the cotton fields, um, and we've also tested um, in our facilities with twenty four seven monitoring of um, you know sensors, energy, you know, like all sorts of things you can monitor and, and it does work. I think that's going to be the solution. Um, and then those audits is what um, consumers are looking at because it's real time. You can't manipulate it. Um, you know, if it's cotton, a satellite passes every 48 hours and photographs. Okay. People picked it. It wasn't, you know, picked um, by a machine. Okay. We know we've got to do more due diligence on that particular farm because people picked it. Who are they? More often than not, in, in Turkey, it'll be Syrian refugees and, my gosh, the issues that we could talk to you about with the things that those poor people have to face. Have faced at home, fleeing war, to go into a place where they're completely exploited. And why are they exploited? Because we're pushing price down all the time. Um, and that is most certainly not God's economy. Yeah. I love it, man. I love it. I love the the, the march that you're on. Um you know, there might be some people that throw mud at you, but it can't stick because all of this comes from a place of wanting to love people, you know, honor them well, you know, you know, give an expression of the kingdom to them. So I'm sure you get a bit of grief as you go, but but, 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 yeah. but not but not from this community. No. Um, mate, there'd be some people that are early on in their business journey listening to this. They might be on a treadmill, mowing the lawn, driving, whatever. Um, just in your final words, what would you say to them as a as a word of encouragement on their kingdom business journey? You're the solution. You are the solution to the to the needs that you see around you. Your business is the solution. Your business is so important. It's important to God. It's important to humanity. You know, every business plays a role in this. And um, failure is your friend. Don't be scared to fail. You know, I think that that fear of failing prevents us from acting. Just be confident enough to go. Every time I fail, I get closer to being successful. Um, because no one has ever been successful without lots of failure. So they would be the only words that I would I would have that would be worth anything, I think. I love it. Uh, I knew I was going to love this one. Um, I knew that when I, you know, I started poking around, uh, watch your story, but I started digging a bit deeper and, and prepare some questions. And I was like, this one, this one I'm going to, I'm going to really enjoy. Obviously I like clothes, you like clothes. So we've got yeah. that in common, but you you're, you're a wonderful example of a kingdom entrepreneur, right? Somebody who's just doing it. Um, not talking about it or necessarily writing books on how to do it, but doing it. Um, and you're the exact kind of person that I want to put in front of the audience because it, it's it's incredibly inspirational um, and it's practical. You're in revenue, you know, and 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 fighting for your business every day like everybody else. So 
Mate, thank you. Thank you for your time. I appreciate your heaps. And uh, we'll, we'll put up some lower thirds and things like that with your URL so people can find out more. For the guys that are listening and watching, go and check out the website. Uh, get on there, have a look around. I did. And uh, there's, there's some cool products on there that, that you'll really appreciate. Um, bless you, James. Uh, have a super week. For the rest of you guys, we'll be back next week for another episode of the Kingdom Business Podcast.